Robert, I don't think this is very funny. Bobby. Who is this? As you watch the screen, your heart begins to beat faster. There's a fluttering in the pit of your stomach. Your throat is dry. Your palms damp. Suddenly a chill runs down your spine. You clutch the person next to you. You tell yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. But sooner or later, it's time to go home. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Ron. And this is our review of Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, starring Laura Park Lincoln, Kevin Spiritus, Susan Blue, Terry Kaiser, Hello Bernie, and Kane Hodder. Directed by Joel Carr Buechler. Released in 1988 on a budget of $2.8 million, gross 19.1 at the box office. So, um, I have an interesting connection to Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, Ron. Much of its exteriors were filmed in Baldwin County, Alabama, where my wife is from. And oh, I wow. I have been to the park front, uh, to the uh, the camp front, to the lakeside places, uh, to a lot of the woods that Jason traipsed through, a lot of the places where Kane Hodder and film crew uh, shot this in South Alabama back in 1987, and uh, most of the exteriors, of course, were done in, in Hollywood or whatever, but there was a good number of things that were done in Point Clear and Sarah Land and Baymanette and places like that, so I, that's my strange connection to this one in the series. I did not see Part 7 until well into adulthood, even after I started watching Friday the 13th films and trying to catch up with all of them. I didn't get around to this one until, I don't know, gosh, I think I was even out of college before I finally saw it. And then, of course, now I've seen it several times because of the, the Baymanette connection. I even gave my father-in-law a copy of it for Christmas once so he could also <laughs> see all of those, uh, to which uh, he was uh, mildly amused, he said, at the film. Uh, so that's my uh, connection to this one's filming locales. Is your wife also a uh, psychic she, she is indeed not a psychic, um, no, So and uh, doesn't have telekinetic powers. I'd always heard this one referred to as two things. It's Kane Hodder as Jason, the guy known as Jason, which you have great pictures with, by the way. We'll talk about it in a second. And this one's also Carrie versus Jason. That's what I've heard it described as a hundred times. That, that makes me wonder if this was originally some sort of discarded Carrie 2 script that they just decided to throw Jason in because it had been a few years since they had a Jason movie. I wondered the same thing. I could find nothing in any of the behind-the-scenes stuff that alluded to that being the fact. Because I, I felt that way because so many of the Hellraiser sequels that uh, Nick and I reviewed back in the day were that way. They were something else, and then all of a sudden they became Hellraiser movies. But from everything I can tell, the basic premise was the start of something not Carrie, but Carrie-related, and then it quickly became a, no, this needs to be the new Friday the 13th film, and so they they worked it as a Friday the 13th film. But Maybe uh, it's the script for uh, Firestarter 2. <laughs> it does have a little bit of that going on, too. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, I would almost argue you could make a an interesting Lifetime-esque movie out of this if you just cut all the Jason parts out. So you'd need, you'd need to have a new ending, but you've got most of something else there. So if you want to do it, yeah, that's actually that actually would be a pretty good idea to give to James Franco. I look forward to, I look forward to um, Jason becoming a horde of lesbian vampires. 
Yeah, we already did that. Um, <laughs> so for people who've been following the uh, the feed and caught our unauthorized mother may I sleep with danger danger double feature, but no, Kane Hodder though comes as Jason this time. I think the guy mostly known for playing Jason. I do tell your little story though about having a picture taken with Kane Hodder and one of his uh, favorite activities. Oh sure, um, the year. Uh, was probably 2008, 2007, 2008, and I, I'm in Nashville visiting some friends, and there is a random horror movie convention happening in town. So we all decide, okay, let's go check it out. So I go uh, with some friends of mine to there, and I see all these great people. Uh, D, D. Wallace was there. Uh, Adrian Barbeau was there, who was still looking great at like 55. Um I think Sid Haig was there, you know, just the usual people you'd see at conventions. Michael Berryman from uh, The Hills Have Eyes. And, of course, Kane Hodder, my favorite Jason. And I think uh, it's not going on a limb to say that's everyone's favorite Jason. So he's the first person I go to. I'm about six feet tall. He's about 6'2", so it's a pretty decent matchup in terms of height. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, would you mind if we take a picture? So I got him to sign my, uh, I got him to sign like a headshot. He's like, sure, I'll take a picture. And he's he's wearing these black gloves on his hands, which should have been sign number one that something weird was going to happen. <laughs> um, apparently he he wears them because his hands are pretty badly burned. Oh, okay. Uh, but still, at the same time, uh, if you ask him, he says it's for. Uh, to not leave any evidence. So, you know, laughs her head. Like, okay, yeah, take my picture. And so Kane Hodder grabs me by the throat with one hand. Oh. And it's not like, put it your hand on my throat, ha, ha, ha. It's, he put his hand on my throat and squeezed. <laughs> and the whole time he's holding, I'm making this anguished face because he's literally choking me out. Wow. With one, with one hand. <laughs> And he's got this great evil look on his face, and he's got me by the throat, and my face is slowly turning red. And then it's he's holding on the entire time it, it takes for the picture to get snapped, which took – it felt like it took three days, but it might have been like 30 seconds. And then when he lets go, I literally am finally able to inhale again, and he starts laughing. That is awesome. Uh, I think we're going to have to post that picture along with this episode uh, because that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's – it's definitely uh, one of the more interesting uh, picture experiences I've ever ever had with somebody like that. I'm sure it was. I can only imagine what that was like. And I've seen this picture, too, and you do not look like you're you're comfortable. You're like, hey, please let me go. Please let me go. So that's how it looks. So, um, But I've heard that story more than once from someone, but I've never met anyone who actually experienced the cane otter <laughs> choke slam, I call it. Um, so I think that's great. That that would be almost like getting choke slammed by the Undertaker or something. Yeah, it's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty intense in, yeah. in real life. <laughs> that's that is awesome. I think that's great, and so uh, th- that's fantastic. Well, you know, I I do think. Kane Hodder is, is a memorable part and favorite Jason of many. He is my favorite Jason, too. I'll go ahead and say that now, not to spoil any reviews that are coming up. But I do think he's he's pretty fantastic. I think we need to get into a plot summary here, though, Ron. So why don't you tell people about what goes down in the new blood, and then we'll, we'll get into the review. Sure thing. Camp Crystal Lake has enjoyed years of peace with Jason Voorhees deposited secure in the water. However, Tina Shepard comes to the camp with a big secret. She can see the future and levitate objects through telekinesis. Years ago, Tina used her powers to drown her father and destroy the pier at Crystal Lake after he attacked her mother. Now being exploited by a doctor who wants to use Tina's powers for his own gains, she is unaware of having woken Jason during a hypnosis session, which sets the infamous murderer loose on unsuspecting visitors. Jason kills many, many other people before Tina finally uses her powers to resurrect her father who leaps from the water, drags and who leaps from the water and drags Jason back to his watery grave. Wow, that is some kind of wonderful. Yeah, it is <laughs> it is an interesting plot to go through all the things they do and this movie's only 88 minutes long. Um, that's the thing. There's there's a lot of this film that I feel like is is so focused on Tina and her uh, plight and what's going on with her and her doctor and her mom, and then there's the parts of it that are clearly just about Jason killing the random cast 
that we have here. Um, and boy, are they are they ever the most random group of people set up to be slaughtered you've ever seen? Yeah, this is really just and it's not even like they bother to try to characterize most of them. They're just basically uh, fresh meat for the grinder. Almost literally, too, because this is also the movie where Jason discovers power tools. Like he, <laughs> he goes down to the Ace Hardware, right? And this is what he gets. And I, I don't know. I thought that was interesting, to say the least, that uh, Jason decided he needed to uh, to go ahead and uh, stock up on some saw blades and, and whatnot, just so, you know, in case. Something I've... Like I've never seen a weed whacker with a saw blade <laughs> stuck to the bottom of it before. I actually own one uh, that will do that. So um, nice. that is real, um, and it does work. It doesn't cut as good as Jason does with it, but, yes, that does exist in uh, the, the, quote, real world. Uh, if I actually live in the real world. I've been watching Stranger Things, so I don't know if I'm you know really here or not. But uh, point being, um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, that's a very real thing. Um, it's a funny thing to me uh, because I feel like so much of, you know, last time I had my mind-blowing theory where this is not Jason, this is resurrected Roy. And this doesn't dissuade me from believing that I might be sort of right because Roy always came up with inventive over-the-top kills for people. Mm-hmm. And I'm still, maybe this is uh, Roy uh, again. That's that's all I'm thinking. So, uh, But I don't think that's, I mean, I'm sure the filmmakers don't intend that, but I could see it. I can see it that way because of how elaborate all of this is for Jason to go. This is the other thing about this one too, is that Tina is not exactly Jason's like nemesis in this movie. Like they have no connection to each other other than he just happens to be there. And, and, and that's, uh, yeah, he's, he's killing all of her friends. That's, that's why you know, there's any connection between the two of them. Um, and she magically resurrects him. That's the question I have for you is when is this taking place? Is th- is this movie supposed to be, you know, right after part six? Is it years after part six? What's the deal here? Uh, that's a great question. I can only assume it's, it's years after part six. Cause everyone's talking about how, you know, Jason is dead. Uh, uh, Dr. Cruz mentions that, uh, doesn't he say that? He does, and I mean, yeah. he, play, he plays it off like everybody else does about things here. Is that it's all just a big mystery anyway, and a bunch of you know nonsense that kids used to scare each other in town. So they're aware of Jason in this movie again, but it's I don't know. I I feel like there's uh, maybe the maybe this is supposed to be sometime shortly after part six, but the way the timeline reads, depending on which one you want to believe. This could be, you know, several years later. I don't know when this is supposed to be is the point. I, I'm, I'm struggling to determine when this movie takes place at all. It's, it's in the vague late 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it feels like that based on fashion and music and everything else that's going on. But timeline-wise, I've seen people say this is supposed to be like 1995. And I'm like, no, it's not. I remember 1995, and it was nothing like this. So uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. It doesn't really matter, I guess, but it is one of those things that we get that opening moment with the flashback introduction, right? And we get the lightning strike resurrection and several scenes from part six. So they're definitely playing up that, you know, Jason is still anchored in the lake, and young Tino runs to the lake to get away from the mother and father fighting. The problem is, is I don't know is – Jason like in the lake then too, or does he get deposited in the lake later? And those are just simultaneous flashbacks. Cause it's a, it's a heck of a jump cut to go from, here's a reminder of what happened in part six. And here's the new people. I, I think it's two separate flashbacks kind of just awkwardly mashed together. Yeah. They're um, poorly edited. That's the other word for that. So it's not well done. So. No, it's not. And that's probably why it's so confusing. But my, my assumption was that the presence of Jason um, is is separate from the uh, destruction of the dock and the death of uh, Tina's father. Yeah, let's talk about the whole Tina's father death thing. Because apparently like her and her mother and her father are fighting, right? And then 
her dad comes out there as she's you know paddling out onto the lake, and I'm assuming like we're going to get Jason to jump out of the lake again, right? Because we've done that a hundred thousand times. Mm-hmm. But um, no, she crashes the dock around her father and kills him like Carrie style, right? But yeah, but also like I don't know exactly how she kills him with the dock falling on him. Like it doesn't look like it pins him in any way, but apparently it does. Uh, maybe it cracked him on the head real good. Maybe so. And he just kind of drowned. Well, I mean, I th- it's pretty established that I think he's drunk. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe he just just too drunk to swim out from under the dock too, that collapsed on him. Too, too drunk to swim. Wasn't that the name of like an album from a 90s band? It should have been if it wasn't. But anyway, uh, or or Jim Carrey comedy, uh, either way. <laughs> but um, yeah, I could go either way with that. Uh, I do think that that would work. But um, I uh, I don't know. I, it's it's weird. Like I I'm wondering like when this is supposed to be. The internet says that no, he's in the lake, and the bulk of this is supposed to be ten years after Part Six. I don't know if I believe that or not. You know. But we wake up with Tina much older, and I'm like. Yes, let's do therapy back in the woods where it all happened because that worked out so well for Tommy in part five. You know? Yeah, so, let's let's keep doing that. So, I mean, that would reinforce the the thought that this was ten years after six because uh, you know everyone's forgotten how six how spectacularly unsuccessful that kind of aversion therapy was at the lake. Right. So that's yeah, that's a bad idea. Um, we don't need to do that again, but. Uh, We'll we'll move on from it uh, for for what it is here because it it gets the plot rolling at least gets the reason for her to go back and we get to meet Doctor Bernie and I'm like you know Tina is quote seeing things and Doctor Cruz here is, is thinks this is a good idea which automatically lets me know he's going to die <laughs> you know like he is going to be killed unmercifully somewhere along the way because as we'll learn about him he's only into this because he can exploit Tina's power somehow. I'm not really sure how that works. Like, what's he hoping to do? Put her in a circus? I, I assume it's one of those, like, um, scanners type of deals. Oh, yeah. Where he's going to turn her into some sort of government weapon. I mean, we, we made fire starter jokes off the air, so it could also be a fire starter type of thing. Because uh, I, I wasn't Drew Barrymore in Firestarter on the run from, like, some nefarious government yeah, her, agency. Her and her father were running from George C. Scott, of all people, running from General Patton. So, uh, yeah, um, I think that's exactly what what could be going on. Maybe that's what he was signing her up for was whatever was that. Or maybe she was going to join Treadstone with, you know, Bourne or something. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that could be the other side of it. But, no, T- Tina, though, can focus her feelings on objects, and especially when she gets mad. Um, and my thought was... Is Cruz, like, really interested in his psychology anymore, or is he just a circus leader at this point? Because he kind of comes off like both. So I, I, I think he's more um, just trying to get the, the, the freak to perform. I guess that's it, yeah. And, and he can't really get her to do anything, so, uh, except when he pisses her off tremendously. So, uh, and in this process, Tina inadvertently resurrects Jason from the lake, who is, like, Doing nothing, right? He's just sort of sitting there floating, like, here goes a the bass, there's a the catfish. I think that's the same bass from yesterday. What is? J- why is Jason trapped in the lake, Ron? I need to know. I, I don't understand. Uh, Well, he's chained to uh, that rock, isn't he? Chained to some kind of thing. Right, but based uh, how- on the strength he displays later, that didn't look like something that would keep him down long. Maybe it's a, a kryptonite rock. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe uh, Jason is is some sort of horribly mangled uh, Kryptonian. <laughs> you know that would actually fit Superman Part Four uh, <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, he's he's nuclear man. It's the quest for pieces of logic, but uh, yeah, no. It, it, it she inadvertently resurrects him to get the party started. Right. I will say this though. Kane Hodder makes his presence known just in the way he moves around. He's so big and broad. Is he that big and broad in real life? I've never seen him in real life. So. Yeah, he's uh, he is a very large. I mean, he man. Look, he looks like a square with legs. Like he, I mean, really, he could have been like a horrific SpongeBob. You know, I mean, he's just so huge. He's he's like SpongeBob. SpongeBob like to choke people for pictures. <laughs> 
But I, the thing though that is great is the makeup effects. When he walks out of the lake and all the like the bone is showing and he's squishy and all the stuff, I'm like, yeah, they they put time and effort into the continuity of. Well, if Jason's been in the lake for ten years, what would he look like? And I'm like, well, yeah, he would look like a piece of chum, you know. <laughs> and that's what he looks like here. So I I don't know. I kind of dug the makeup effect. I I did too. I liked that it kind of. It emphasizes that we're clearly not dealing with uh, Roy too, right? You know, right. It, it, although this may be the resurrected Roy, um. <laughs> <laughs> resurrected Roy. Yeah, Roy wasn't that big of a dude though, so uh, I guess we'll have to go with with Jason. But uh, well, swimming is a really good way to build muscle. Maybe may swimming in place. Maybe that was what he was doing. He was just trying to lift that rock, and the resistance was the, working. The, the, as the Simpsons called it, uh, tethered swimming. <laughs> It could work either way. So, uh, but yeah, no, I I dug it, and we get to kills one and two here real quick. A couple of random people with a bad place to camp, you know, and a couple of tent stakes through the throat in the back here. We we get to the killing quick because we have to have killing quick in this. They don't look like they've dropped the part five rule of we must have someone murdered every eight minutes, but at least they're not as abhorrent of people as they were in part five. Yeah, it definitely feels like there's a very high uh, kill quota mm-hmm. and uh, unlike you know uh, part six and some of the other movies there's absolutely no attempt to make any of these people uh, into characters they're just uh, things to absorb stabbings yeah oh yes I mean because that tent stake gets used pretty quick she has this whole vision of Jason killing somebody and then that tent stake winds up you know shoved into the, the post on the back porch right and I'm like man that's awesome like I I was actually digging this and then it disappears and we find out later that Cruz finds it and hides it because he doesn't want Tina focused on anything but his set of parlor tricks I guess that's how that's <laughs> supposed to go down but, yeah sure <laughs> yeah but I mean really I mean that's that's what's going on here I was okay with that though honestly I, I kind of like the mystery of this because we know Jason's real and he's in this or whatever but for a long time they play it off as this is just Tina you know losing her mind here uh do you think it's a, an effective misdirect um i mean it, it makes sense for the characters um like the mom to believe that but i think um dr cruz knows um excuse me dr cruz knows pretty early on that there's something screwy going on outside um, yeah, yeah oh no he he's early into the mix of understanding that this is not going to end well for for us if if she uh, somehow or another uh, you know gets distracted and starts messing around with all these other things that she's worried about. I think that's exactly right. But the the cool part about it is it's not a great misdirect for us, but it's a good misdirect for these characters. Like mm-hmm. I, I buy the fact that they are going along with it. We know Jason's real, so you know there's no doubt about that in our mind. Uh, I I don't think there's any I don't know any mystery about that at all, um, but the fact that it's a mystery to some of the people in the film is I don't know I thought it was kind of cool I was down for it. Uh, if this had come out if, um, this year instead of 1980 whatever, mm-hmm. um, do you think they would have had it that Tina was? Uh, essentially warging into Jason like Bran wargs into Hodor in Game of Thrones. Wow, you know, I hadn't thought about it like that, but that does make a ton of sense. That that I mean, she does yeah. keep seeing things essentially through the eyes of the, of the killer. No, she does. Uh, but then who's the Hodor in this story? Nick? The next door guy, maybe? So, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I could see that as maybe how they'd play it nowadays. But, I don't know. Uh, it It's... It's there to give a reason for everybody to not, you know, pay any attention to her ramblings about this monster. Because you know, Jason, at this point, let's just say it, no longer looks like a real person at all. I mean, he looks like a deformed monster at, at, at this juncture, and he's out there slaughtering people. You're not going to be able to hide that. You know. Yeah, he's he's yeah. pretty much a rotten. Glaupola monster. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He well, he looks. I got a little toxic Avenger off of him this time around. 
Oh yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, it's it was definitely some citizen toxic going down uh, this time around. But uh, you know what? I didn't realize that Uncle Jack from Breaking Bad and Notcher from Iron Eagle uh, goes uh, in you know for uh, uh, into the woods with a machete, which. Uh, you know, leaves uh, poor sweet Judy to get cold in the tent, right? We talk about the most restrained sex scene ever in a Friday the 13th film. I mean, that, that may have been the, like, tamest one ever concocted. Maybe they just didn't like each other. Maybe so, maybe they could have could have just been like, nah, this ain't gonna work. You know, so they just, she was like, nah, I ain't getting on with this dude. I don't care what you pay me. So uh, they... they you tamed it down or whatever, but I do love that. That's how we're going to give uh, Jason some more weapons here. He's going to find some stuff, right? Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. He's got to have his signature machete, right? Uh, and of course, we've got to have um, what is is this the first uh, sleeping bag kill? This is the sleeping bag kill. Yes, Dan gets punched through the back and his neck gets snapped. And I'm like, that is. Arnold Schwarzenegger, crazy, you know. And then Judy, like, he zips her up in the uh, sleeping bag and almost what sounds like a psycho music cue bashes her against the tree, <laughs> uh, which will be repeated in a later film. Like, they're going to they're gonna play with that again later. But it's one of the most memorable kills in the series. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, uh, probably one of my favorite. It's definitely my favorite kill out of this movie. Uh, well, Nothing. it changes the tone of things. We talked about how part six changed the tone of these Jason films to where they became horomities. They were now horror comedies in a lot of ways, and I think this one's just carrying on that tradition. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a really funny one. Um, to me, nothing can stop the uh, the wheelchair guy. Oh, uh, that, that's the best one. Yes, agreed. But this is definitely like a top notch. Uh, Kill and it's 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 also one of those ones you would find on those uh, best of Jason DVDs they used to make. Oh yeah, yeah, and I think it's on all the best of kills too. I mean, it's it's great. But you know, next morning we're gonna meet the more of the soon to be dead meat, and we we get we quickly get to dusk and night. I'm like, it's daytime, and then it's not. You know, so that's that's how they've decided to play this, uh, which I'd find to be really interesting. That that's. Uh, how quick it, it you know the day goes by, and I'm like, well, what happened during the day? You know, what did anything else go down, or you know, are we just is that it? That all we got? So I I don't know. I I was wondering uh, where uh, where things were going and uh, what was happening, but uh, clearly I was the only one. So. <laughs> yeah, I think you were the only one who who wanted that day filled in. I don't think it really mattered to. It definitely didn't matter to any of the people making the movie. No, which is probably why they jumped right through it. Right, exactly. So, you know, several people decide they got to go get some weed now, of course, because that's what we do in these movies now, because we're still stuck into the that will be taboo. Was that still even taboo in 1988? Did people care? But um, Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I think by then, like, it was just, not that it was this accepted thing that it is nowadays, you know, but I don't think that was a shocking thing to have in a movie anymore. Uh, At least not from my point of view. I don't think it was. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, uh, the 60s had come and gone. We'd already gotten, like, your Easy Riders and, and that kind of thing. So I'm sure right. weed was probably uh, acceptable. Not as acceptable as it is now, obviously, but, you know, more acceptable. Yeah, I yeah, I can see that. I guess it was more acceptable at this point. But she, I love how, you know, Tina throws a television with her powers. Or should I say... Stares intently at the camera while some strings throw a television. That was hilarious to me. I I laughed uh, intently about that. Yeah, I I definitely laughed at that one. Uh, I'd forgotten how cheesy that was because it was. You could see the fishing line. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, high def does nothing for this film. It doesn't help it at all. I haven't seen the Blu-ray of it, so I don't know if that you know makes it even worse. But just on my DVD, I. That's not going to go well. So, like, that looks bad. They didn't as long as they did. You know, this movie is cut to pieces because of the MPAA anyway. But, it, I mean, it it lingers in the wrong spots for so many things, I think. And it doesn't help it that uh, that's, uh, that's how it goes. Uh, do you think it... It... it, it, it it moves so okay. Go ahead, start that over again. 
Do you think the movie moved so weirdly because they had to cut a bunch of the stuff out oh, to I keep th- from getting an X rating? I agree. I think I think this movie is it feels so off paced because it is so abrupt and cut up. But I feel like they they had these long extended Jason kill scenes, and once I mean they had to be getting feedback on the dailies that this was getting cut up like this. Mm-hmm. You'd think they'd have any other footage they could have put back in this somewhere along the way, like do something. I don't I don't know. I just I felt like this movie was cut to ribbons, sure, but there was nothing else to put in there. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe this was only a forty five minute episode of different strokes, and then they threw Jason on top of it. I don't know, but it it does feel perfunctory is the word yeah it's pretty uh it it is really chopped up you can tell a lot of stuff was cut um in in, in a lot of the death scenes um which is sad and i don't know if anybody actually has that original footage because i would love to see it all put back in because apparently there are some great uh uh blood and guts shots that that we don't get that that we should get. I wonder if on whatever the next iteration of the output for the series is, if they won't try to restore some of these things. But then again, that the footage may not exist anymore either. I mean, at this point, you know, Paramount was almost done with this series completely. And when they got out of it, I don't think they turned over stuff to new line, you know, to keep up with. So I, I don't know what's left, but, uh, Certainly feels rushed as we go through. But I love how she meets Nick, who's our other male, you know, n- character of note here, and they want to get out of there. And he carries pictures of his cousin in his wallet. And I'm, I mean, I know I have you know a good number of cousins. I don't think I've ever carried a picture of one of them with me to show random people. Hey, this is my cousin. Yeah, that's a little. Uh, maybe it was a different world back then. I don't know. Maybe they were, uh, you know, this is kind of a rural area. Maybe they were kissing cousins. That no, this this was before Instagram, and it was way before that kind of thing would be okay. So because uh, the cousin was male, so uh, <laughs> yeah, they they weren't going there, man. So not, hey, you, you never know. Um, I don't think uh, Jason was that progressive back in the day. So. Well, Nightmare on Elm Street too went there early and often. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it did, but I don't think this series was chasing that one at all. Um, if anything, this one was just trying to make you know twenty four more outputs before Michael Myers came back, and this was the year Michael Myers came back in in part four. So yeah, they're already into total cheese land here. We get some more kills and some random nudity, um, <laughs> which I think it, that may be a good way to sum up this film. So it's lots of kills and random nudity. We got the yuppie with a sweater who gets the machete to the face, very part two I wrote down. And then mm-hmm. Sandra from Underwater gets it like Jaws style. And I was like, man, Jason is defying the law of physics. He moves fast in this this film. He, he must have had some uh, underground tunnels. Either, either that or he is borrowing powers from Teen Inc. and now teleport too. Because that's the only other way to explain this. And I want you to remember that, that the teleportation appears to be happening. Because that's going to come back again. They're, they're going to do that in one of the more modern iterations of Jason. And I, I'm i curious as to why that decision was made, that we, we must have Jason to be able to move at rapid speed um, to uh, pull some of this stuff off. It's, it's amazing. But two really gory kills again, right? Remember when Jason was afraid of the water? Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> what uh, maybe eight years below that—that's uh, what got him uh, over all that—that uh, that fear there, man. That—that that has to be it, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe he's learned what doesn't kill me makes me, makes me undead. <laughs> makes me stronger. He Kelly Clarkson it down there. Yes, so that's that. Sure, why not? So, I mean, he was down there. What else was he doing down there besides counting fish and playing Cat's Cradle chained up to a rock? I mean, come on. You know, there's not, not a lot to do. So, uh, good old Jason and his, uh, you know, need for wanton violence. Uh, never underestimate it. So, because uh, <laughs> it's pretty epic most of the time. Nick runs through the woods and finds his dead cousin, Antina. Uh, has another flash vision here. And I love how she flashes back to the uh, the house and our stone sex couple uh, are yucking it up in the dark, right? And we, we get more kills here. Uh, we, we get a knife to the stomach. And that's the thing about this movie that gets me is sometimes the kills are like, you know, again, wicked elaborate. And then sometimes they're just really pedestrian, you know? 
Like I don't I don't understand why they vacillate so greatly unless it, that's an MPAA thing. I would say it's probably an MPAA thing. I know um, all kinds of stuff had been cut mm-hmm. uh, from this one, and I imagine there's also a little element of you can't keep. It's like the Final Destination movies. You can't keep getting more and more elaborate with your Rube Goldberg of death. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you got to go back to the the basics and just have a couple good old stabbings, or or throw a woman off a roof because that's basically what happens to Robin, the girl here. And uh, Mister Soap on a rope gets a machete to the side of the neck. And you talk about a jump cut. I'm like, well, that was clearly a much more gory scene that got cut to ribbons. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, there's definitely. Um, Stuff that was cut, and if you look at the horror wiki page, it goes through a lot of the things that were uh, removed. Oh, okay. Well, I, I hadn't hadn't read through that. I'll have to do that one uh, somewhere along the way. So, but I love how Jason catches up with uh, Doctor Cruz and Tina's mom here, right? And he's into gardening tools at this point because he gets her with like a tree saw in the back. And I, my question was, where did he discover all the gardening tools? So, uh, <laughs> that's thinking, a great... Like, there's no scene where he just sort of stumbles upon, like, the barn and is like, oh, man, I can use all of this stuff to murder people. You know, and that that never... Like, we couldn't have had a scene of him just wandering around. Jason is a stalker, after all. He does wander around and watch people from a distance. So I don't know why they couldn't have had him... You know, go to the power tool shed from Commando and start pulling stuff out. Because <laughs> the only thing he doesn't do is throw a saw blade through somebody. So, which Schwarzenegger does in in Commando, by the way. But uh, which is awesome. But uh, if only this movie was that entertaining. <laughs> it's not. We're, we're not that lucky. No. Nick, of course, finds all the carnage next door. Goes back for Tina, who's nowhere to be found. And I, I really thought, okay, he's going to get it here. This is this is where Nick is going to die. Uh, in the film, and it doesn't happen. Like, I, they faked me out on it, man. He survived for a little bit. Yeah, this is uh, this is definitely where I expected him to die, too. Um, but, you know, maybe they wanted to surprise us by not killing him immediately. I, that's what I was trying to figure out, is why would they not go ahead and take him out? I, you know, he serves no real purpose, does he? I mean, to, as far as I can tell. He's the only one who believes Tina. That's yeah. I guess you're right. He is the only one that buys Tina's because he sees carnage. I guess that's what gets him to to buy it, right? I, I guess uh, either that or this is the only girl he's ever met, not from this town he lives in, and yeah. so he's ready to get some 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 different some kind non, of action, some non towny action, non town action. Maybe that is it. Maybe that's what he was going for. Was. Uh, there's not a whole lot of town here, and uh, there's, there's not a lot of uh, living teenagers. <laughs> well, this is true. There aren't, and you know what? He could be um, cousins to Rob from Part Three or whatever, who you know was sort of loyal but had needs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, maybe that's maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. I I thought uh, I thought he was going to get it here. Um, he didn't, and that was a surprise. But here we go. We we move on. Jason finally catches up with, you know, Bernie, Dr. Cruz. And I do love the way that he gets it with the tree trimming saw. Gas powered, no less, um, with that, that blade on it. I thought that was great. Like, we, we, they clearly just walked through an Ace Hardware to write the thing, you know, and said, oh, we got to save that for somebody good. And I wonder if Terry Cruz, you know, if, if uh, the actor there didn't, didn't go, hey, I want it with the tree trimming saw. I'm important. I mean, if it works for if it worked for Toby Hooper, why wouldn't it work for <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven? Yeah, why not? Uh, you know, well, yeah, we should keep reminding ourselves this is Part Seven of the film, and I mean, we have it, we're not skipping over it, folks. This is the story. It is Tina using her powers to bend spoons in between Jason killing random people you don't care about. I mean, that's the whole film. And they, it they, they they mashed up two separate like f- 
you know, hour-long television episodes into one movie. Yeah, but the thing is, they purposely wrote it this way. That's the thing. If this had been legitimately something that was conceived as something else that we just stuck Jason in it, I would almost forgive it. But this was written to be this way, and that's what's almost unforgivable about this one. As fun as some of it can be, and it can be kind of fun to watch, it when you start talking about it and thinking about it like at all, there ain't a whole lot here. I mean, this is some thin deli slice here. <laughs> Speaking of the gas powered tree trimming saw. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's pretty well what goes down to uh, Dr. Bernie here. He, he gets it with that. And and I, I will also question as to how much thought was put into this movie, <laughs> but um, I, I, the, I do enjoy that at least um, they got creative with the kills and uh, I'm also very glad that Jason has a um, a foe that he does not clearly does not understand. That's the best thing is like the last 20 minutes of this are Jason and her sort of going at, at each other at this point because she finds all the slew of dead bodies that Jason has stored near a tree, you know, or whatever, and she starts using telekinesis to like tie him up with tree roots, which was so Evil Dead, you know, and Evil yeah. Dead too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, and and then she tries to electrocute him in a puddle, which kind of works but jason was just now playing with her you know and so i love how though he's like a timex at this point and <laughs> i really wonder if somewhere there is like a cut where kane hotter jumps up out of there and it's like timex for when you must keep going you know like you can make a good timex commercial out of this because uh, jason definitely keeps it uh keeps it going so um we we forget that we have the uber Twitch uh, next door, Melissa uh, finally gets it in a way that we want. Uh, the total yuppie girl with shoulder pads and all gets an axe to the head and thrown across the room. <laughs> and I'm, I, mean, I was watching this with my wife, and she was like, "Well, man, I was glad he saved a good kill for her." And I'm like, "I think the writers did that. You can thank whoever wrote this for that. Like, oh, we're so gonna kill her, like good, you know, like we're oh, gonna, yeah, definitely we're gonna kill the doctor good, and we're gonna kill her real good. And that was, but uh, so this is when this series has turned out, you know, because when you start rooting for the killer actively in the film. We have a, we have a problem. Like I don't want Tina to die necessarily, but everybody else, I'm like, yeah, they can all go, you know. So because they're poor Tina is just the exploited teenager here. I feel bad for her. Like she's just being used. Yeah, she doesn't know any better. She's uh, relatively innocent. Yeah, it's like she's still a kid. She is like Firestarter in a way. Like if they had, if they had gone full on and taken the Caroline clone that was in the beginning and that was the the nemesis or whatever. I would have even liked that more, I think, than making her adult. Because when you make her adult, and then she's the object of lust and affection. She might be tempted to go off those roots and be, you know, Jason murder uh, victim. But the fact that she doesn't, she plays it almost like she's still this innocent child trapped in this woman's body. Well, I think they um, could, didn't after uh, all the difficulties they had shooting with Corey Feldman. Uh, around uh, labor laws and such, I figured that's why they had to make her an adult. You know, I hadn't thought about it like that, but that's an excellent point that they didn't want to do that. I thought the difficulty of shooting with Corey Feldman was just that it was Corey Feldman. <laughs> I didn't realize that there were actual uh, laws being uh, applied there, but uh, yeah, you're right. So uh, we'll 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 go with it for uh, for that end. But I I did I, I like Tina a little bit here, but the showdown at the end is what's fun. Is Tina knocks Jason through some stairs. Talk about some shoddy. I was like watching the money pit kind of construction there. That was bad, right? And she like breaks the mask apart. And I guess we see what 10 years underwater does for his complexion, right? But yeah, not much. No, no, but great continuity on the face injuries. Like he's still missing that eye and he's still got that chop in his head and all that. I'm like, the only people that paid attention to anything were the makeup people in this film. And they, <laughs> all I can think is like they must have wanted to eventually work on better things one day. And they're like, if we show out for this piece of garbage, then people will know we're serious about this. That's the only thing I can think of as to why they would have bothered with some of the continuity of this here. Because otherwise, who cares? It's the uh, it's actually the guy who directed it, the John Carl uh, Buckler or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's also the guy who did the special effects makeup. I did not realize that that was the both. They were both the same thing. Well, that now that makes total sense. That's great. So, 
that well, maybe that was the thing he was most interested in. <laughs> he, well, he definitely wasn't interested in you know the editing process. No, this is true. So because I think he was just like, yeah, whatever. You know, the thing is though is. You know, nowadays they would let you do, you know, the director or whatever would let you do that, and they'd be like, whatever, we'll put it all back in on the home video. This is before they did that, right? Like, did mm-hmm. they not realize that they can't rate your home video? They can, you can do whatever you want on that. You know, so I guess it took a, a couple decades for Hollywood to realize, well, we'll just do whatever the heck we want when we get this thing at the home. And I can't imagine that. I mean, you know, again, it, it cost nearly $3 million to make. They made $20 million, most of it, the first couple of weekends. That satisfied Paramount. They didn't care you <laughs> yeah. know, anymore. At that point, they were done. So I, yeah, that's why I wonder why they didn't bother to put any of it back in. But, but I do like the fact that she throws some nails into Jason, one in the head, too, which was very Bruce Lee and, and kind of cool. But all it does is piss him off. <laughs> you know, that's the thing is none of this crap she's doing to him is effective at all. She's just making him mad. So it's like Clubber swinging at Rocky. You're just making him <laughs> mad. So. Oh yeah, definitely. That's um, that that leads up to what probably my favorite moment um, is when uh, Jason catches on fire. Oh, that is an awesome look. Yes, I agree. And it was uh, it was actually one of the longest like uninterrupted on screen burns in Hollywood history. And Kane Hodder was actually set on fire by uh, an apparatus that was he was wearing so that you could see him literally catch on fire on a film as opposed to it being like cut back in and editing. That's pretty awesome. They basically made him his own living flame. And he was on fire for 40 seconds. That is incredible, too. And coming on the heels of, th- you know, three, four years before, Freddie had been on fire running up and down the stairs. And uh, but this is longer than that. You're right. So they're up in the game. And um, not to mention uh, the the famous uh, opening of the swamp thing. Yes, of course. Where he is on fire for quite some time as well. That's true. So yeah, well, you know, they obviously had goals here, and I think it's good to have goals. Um, <laughs> so when, when you're making a film, I think that's a bad thing necessarily. Uh, one could question how effective they were with you know getting their goals accomplished, but uh, they certainly had them and were going for it here. So kudos to the uh, the filmmakers for trying to get something done because they clearly weren't interested in story. Right? I love how the house explodes too. I'm like, man, that gas line must be, <laughs> and not like explodes. I'm talking about like it lethal weapons explode. Like it, the whole it disintegrates into like molecules. You know, I mean, it, that's a heck of an explosion, uh, even if it was a gas line. Gas line or one of those big 100-gallon um, propane tanks. Yeah, something, right? The thing here, I've got to ask this question, and I know I'm going to regret asking it, but I, I have to, Ron. What the heck happens at the end here? Because I know what I've written in my notes is Jason comes back for one last round, and Tina summons her father from the lake to rechain him to the bottom but Dad didn't really look so bad. And where did he get that chain? And how does that work? <laughs> I think the father was a psychic projection of Tina's powers. Really? Yeah. Okay. She, I mean, a lot of this movie could have been imagined by her anyway. Uh, so in this case, she is redeeming her father's memory by having him come back from the dead to save her. Of uh, mm. As opposed to her being able to, her being unable to save him, or it's a Friday the Thirteenth movie, and they needed to have somebody leap out of the water and drag someone to their death. I guess that's it. I don't know. It's I like your original theory that it's the psychic projection of her guilt or whatever. The, that, yeah, that the, makes one that, sense. the one that they definitely didn't have in mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, clearly, yeah. So, but I like that though. That makes. A lot more sense than some of the other stuff that I've seen and read and heard out there. Um, but uh, you know what? Nick doesn't die at all here either. Uh, they wake up on matching stretchers to be taken out together. You know, amongst all the ruin of Crystal Lake and or what was left. That's the other question I have for you: Is this Crystal Lake? Is this across the street from Crystal Lake? Does Crystal Lake can't Crystal Lake exist anymore because all of a sudden it went from being a camp to like somebody's. You know, summer home. 
It's a it's across the it's on the other side of Crystal Lake. That's what it is. Okay, from that the makes- camp. Yeah, the camp which is long long ago burned down. Yeah, well, you know, after that last round of murder, um, I guess they just couldn't couldn't justify. They even changed the name of the town back. You know, they're like, <laughs> well, let's not even fool with anybody anymore. So, I mean, it's why are we waiting? So, and speaking of why are we waiting? Why are we talking about it any longer than than we have already, Ron? What are your final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings for Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven: The New Blood? It's weird. When I was younger, this was always my favorite one because. Uh, Jason finally had someone who could stand up to him uh, in terms of having powers beyond his. Uh, but ha- but rewatching it now, I-, I see how poorly put together it was uh, and how they don't necessarily make the two halves of the movie mesh all that well. Uh, but it still is a lot of fun to watch a, a fishing lines hurled televisions at people. Uh, so I'm going to go with a good medium popcorn it's still fun um it's not as good as it should have been and it's not as good as it would be if they would put back all the gore uh effects and maybe uh, smooth out the editing a little bit um but i I still enjoyed it Uh, i still had a good time with it and um i'm twist on the usual tale. I agree with you that it is an interesting twist on what at this point has become really played out in a lot of ways. Um, I actually had a lot of fun watching this. Um, and it's the thing is, is when I sit down and try to like talk about it and then sort of explain it, I realize there's just really ain't a lot there. And I go back to my deadly meat that I think, man, it's like a good deadly sandwich. You're like, man, that's tasty. That's really good. But then an hour later, I'm like, a little hungry. Provolone was a little thin, you know. I I feel that way about this movie that it's just it's just not much there, and maybe that's the fault of the editing, maybe it's the fault of uh, whoever you know put together this thing. But either way, I don't think it holds up long term. I do hope that someday, maybe we'll get the full version of this that we can actually enjoy and see what was there. But until then, it's hard to give this much more than. You know, a small popcorn, and and I don't think it's like bad small popcorn. It's just there's just nothing there to make me think that, it, that this is just this grand story. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a small popcorn, uh, even though I do like Kane Hodder, and I found this to be a lot of fun. Yeah, much like real life, a small popcorn is mostly air. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like it's kind of like that small popcorn you get at a ball game. If you just stick with the one bag, you're okay. You know, but uh, otherwise, uh, you're going to regret the fact that you picked all that up. So, you know, we are we are seven chapters into our Friday the 13th retrospective here, and we're about to be done with the world of Paramount. I can't believe we're almost done with the first eight, and we've got two to go before we get into Remake Land and Freddy vs. Jason. But uh, October's been going on, man, and we are sure enough uh, moving forward well with it here. Folks, you can find all the episodes on our website, of course, continuouslaypodcast.com slash movies. You can find links to our iTunes page there. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. We do appreciate your support. Until next time, for Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.